You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour Podcast with your host, Brett Matthijs. All right, if you could see one production, if I use the wrong vernacular here, let me know. But if you could see one production in any venue that in the world, what would you see and where would you see it? Oh my gosh, that's a hard question. (laughs) Because Hamilton is such a huge show right now on Broadway. So the theater part of me would definitely want to go to that in New York City. Hamilton has had an unbelievable run, too. I mean, it's been a long time, and it is still doing really, really well. But I have to say also I'm a music person at heart, and if I could see Pearl Jam in any venue, oh yes, I would. Yeah, Eddie Vedder. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But their concerts are now huge fundraisers. They they only play for uh, for a cause that they believe in. I believe so. That is a big thing with yeah musical artists. Is it seems like there's kind of like that window, you know, when like if you saw the concert in that window when you were into them and they were at the top of their game, then it's important. But it's like if you see somebody now. For example, um, like I'm a big old-timey country fan, so it's like Willie Nelson back in the 70s and 80s is a lot different than Willie Nelson now. He's still Willie Nelson. He's still a legend, but it's a little bit different. Yeah, that's right. To see him in their heyday would be... Well, I did see Pearl Jam, but I don't have a single memory of it. It was yeah. so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose before we get too far into it, I'll have you introduce yourself so people know who I'm talking to here. So I'll just give you the floor and who you are, what you do, and where you come from. Cool. I'm Nick Johnson. I'm the executive director at the Performing Arts Center of Rapid City and Black Hills Community Theater. Um, they're two different corporations with their own boards, but uh, as a cooperative venture, I help manage both. That makes it really uh, easy and seamless for doing our productions at the Performing Arts Center. I should say doing community theater productions at the Performing Arts Center. Um, I've lived in Rapid City for just about a six years and a month. Moved okay. here from Wyoming. I uh, grew up in Montana, but I got, went to school in Arizona and in the Chicago area and ended up in Wyoming for a long time before coming here and um, to run these two organizations. Where were you at in Wyoming? So uh, I had a dream job. I studied classical music, had a master's degree, played trombone, um, but then kind of went into administration and worked at the Grand Teton Music Festival in Jackson Hole, Wyoming for almost 10 years. And that was really cool. And then I lived in Sheridan, Wyoming, also for almost 10 years and ran a little theater on Main Street there, the Wyo Theater, which was a departure from what I did, but really helped me kind of see the whole performing arts spectrum got out of just the classical music business. That's really cool. We've had a couple classically trained musicians on this podcast, too. They run the Black Hills Music Festival, um, and they play viola and violin, which I recently discovered when talking to them that those are two very, very different things. They are. They, the, the joke is that what's the difference between a violin and a viola? Oh, I don't know this joke. What is it? The viola burns longer. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit bigger. larger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For sure. So very cool. And then where were you born and raised? Montana? Yeah, I was born in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, um, really? That's a hopping place to be school. right now. Oh, it is. Uh, uh, my, my mom still lives there and uh, an older sister still lives there with her family. So we have lots of reason to go back and uh, um, it's a great place to go back to visit. Hard hard place to live. It's one of those expensive communities, and I've lived in a couple, like Jackson Hole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so beautiful yeah. places. Yeah, yep, And uh, but we love the Black Hills, too. Awesome. So as you touched on, you're the executive director of both the Black Hills Community Theater and the Performing Arts Center of Rapid City. Have you always been into theater and productions? And obviously you said you're 
classically trained musician on the trombone? Is it's kind of always just been an interest of yours or did it kind of come a little bit later in life? Actually, the theater part came uh, much later in life. When I moved to Sheridan, Wyoming to run the Wyo Theater, we produce we produced a couple musicals a year, uh, sometimes a Christmas carol play. So uh, I kind of learned the ins and outs of just the basic production. I know nothing about directing, <laughs> stage management for theater, acting. Uh, like I said, I was a musician in orchestra. I also played electric bass in a lot of bands. And uh, um, so the theater thing was pretty new, but I knew enough about uh, producing that when coming into Black Hills Community Theater, uh, it was a fairly smooth transition because uh, we have an artistic director and an artistic staff who uh, know what they're doing and you let them uh, run with the ball and they do a fantastic job. So I kind of see the, the larger picture, um, oversee fundraising, marketing, items like that. Absolutely. So obviously the name is, is somewhat of a giveaway um, to what both the Black Hills Community Theater and the Performing Arts Center do, but can you touch on a little more in depth of what you guys do here in Rapid City and some of the things that you guys put on? Sure. Well, the Performing Arts Center of Rapid City really came about because the Black Hills Community Theater needed a new home. When the, when the doll expanded, uh, the Rapid City Arts Council, the, the organization that runs the doll, was growing and community theater was growing and it kind of outgrew their facility. So uh, they created that beautiful arts facility at the doll and Black Hills Community Theater needed something bigger and uh, struggled for a bit. They were over a store in the mall, storefront in the mall for a few years. And then um, finally the coalition came together between the school district, which was renovating Rapid City High School, which was called to go to middle school at that time. And then all of the other organizations that were kind of needed a similar home, the symphony, the children's chorus, Black Hills Showcase Chorus, which is a Sweet Adeline affiliate chorus, and then the uh, Shrine of Democracy Chorus, the men's group they're affiliated with the National Barbershop Association. Uh, so all those groups, the synergy kind of happened to put that center at what is now Rapid City High School. They literally built a huge wing on the back, uh, renovated the cool old theater that was already there, uh, which we now call the historic theater. It, uh, they, you know, they fixed up a lot of the plaster work, really made it a beautiful space. But out of the deal, we got a smaller theater. We call the studio theater. We have rehearsal rooms. We have, uh, you know, a scene shop to build in, prop shop for uh, storing props, a whole costume shop, office spaces. Uh, it really was. Uh, it was kind of a dream for Black Hills Community Theater to have that space, but it also brought in these other organizations. I don't think they would have been able to do it without that kind of coalition. The arts really have to work together. And that was kind of the genesis of why I ended up managing, too, the Black Hills Community Theater being the biggest and, and use those spaces the most. But they also have to have staff who know the technical side and not just building a set, but also lighting and sound. And so it's natural that um, some of those staff help all the other clients and the other residents that use the place. So it's a really kind of a natural synergy. Oh, absolutely. So I took one theater class in college. I was not a theater major by any means, because if I was, uh, I probably wouldn't be working here. Um, but I really found it fascinating. And um, one of the things that really stuck with me, and I don't know why, but it's just like theater in the round. Like I just know what that is. I'm going to know what that is until the day that I die. So can you tell people who have no idea what a theater in the round is and if you guys take advantage of that? Well, unfortunately... We can't so much in our theaters the way they're built. Although in the big theater, the historic theater, 
it's a little bit like that because the stage there, the original theater was the stage was so small that we we put what we call the apron, the big part sticks out in front of the proscenium arch, um, is so deep in the historic theater, and there's those balcony seats on the sides and the box seats we call the box seats that you're not really in the round, and that there's audience surrounding you everywhere, but it kind of puts the action out right in the audience, which is a cool thing. So theater in the round itself would literally be, um, if not on four sides, audience on four sides, audience on three sides, and our spaces don't quite work for that. If a director had the idea to do that, though, I'm sure we could find some creative way of, of pushing the actors out into the middle of an audience. Um, that would be really interesting, I think. I think for now, I've seen a couple of productions done that way, um, and it's very interesting to be on the side and seeing a production from a, a different angle. Um, as an actor, I would think that would be kind of nerve-wracking. Like that was someone... my next question, was like, <laughs> is that just so much different for actors and direct? I mean, the whole crew is just, I mean, you have a place where usually it's the you know front of stage, right? I'm saying that right? Yeah. The back of the stage yeah. is the front of stage. They actually call and it... Uh, down, the front of the stage is downstage because yeah. the old stages used to be raked. They were they were like slanted so yes. that people in the upstage in the back could be seen over be the seen. people in the front. But uh, yeah, I, you know, not being an actor and being a musician who likes to hide behind large instruments <laughs> like a trombone or an electric bass and stand in the back, um, uh, yeah, I would think that would take some getting used to. You're, you know, it seems like you're taught to project out to the seats in the back of the house. Yeah, and then all of exactly. a sudden to have people behind you or around you, uh, I would think. But I'm, sure, you know, that's the thing with actors they they learn how to be versatile and they learn how to get used to different situations. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, you talked briefly on it, you touched on it, but obviously there's a lot of entities that come together to you know use the performing arts center and a lot of entities that are just involved with everything as far as the arts go in Rapid City. Can you talk about your coalition of members that you guys all work together and how you guys work together? Yeah, because um, like I mentioned, the, the impetus to build the place was community theater, but it was obvious that to really get it done fundraising-wise, we needed a coalition. I wasn't here when that was all done by the, you know, a bunch of hardworking volunteers. But um, it works very well because everyone has the opportunity to learn from each other. The... Uh, um, the symphony has an executive director, Kirsten Olson Hollenbeck. So she's there interacting with us. So if she needs advice on, or if she needs a narrator for a show, we have access to the actors and, and the folks. If we need orchestra musicians, we have easy access to um, those musicians through that. And the, um, and the choirs then have the benefit of our professional technicians. Uh, it all works pretty nicely. And it was, it's a very focused mission. Uh, some There are huge art centers that have everything. They have galleries and art studios and um, you know pottery shops and theaters. And uh, um, that would have been an awesome vision for Rapid City, but you have to be pragmatic too and find the spaces that work best. So the doll has incredible spaces for visual arts. And they even do performing arts there in, in, in a very small venue. And so we're very performing arts focused. I mean, that was the coalition that needed the home. They needed a, a permanent space that would be very inexpensive for them to use day in and day out. Um, so the uh, just being around all that activity is also kind of exciting. There's times when just for a rehearsal evening, there's no parking. You've got 50 kids from the children's chorus, and you have a 50 uh, 
ca 50 cast member musical rehearsing and then one of the adult choirs comes in right after that rehearsal and meetings and uh, it can get really crazy around there on a non-performance day. But that's just fun. It adds some synergy and adds uh, um, just a little excitement to everyone's day. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's fun to have the space and see it be used. You know, like you said, even on a non-performance day, just people coming in to practice and rehearse and, and all that stuff and having the bodies in there and just, you know, letting people explore their creative side, whether it's, you know, not rehearsing or not performing, rather just rehearsing. And then, of course, on performance nights, it's, it's packed as well. Um, yeah, yeah, we hope. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always the goal. And we have great audiences. Uh, we, uh, we're really hitting our stride. I mean, we are obviously going to have record numbers of attendance and everything this year until the uh, pandemic showed up. And so it's everything has uh, come to a screeching halt, um, which is very difficult for folks. You know, they they want to be on stage and performing and that's that's their outlet. It's it's the same with sports. I mean, sports teams can't play together. It's probably pretty boring to throw a ball against the wall all day long. Um, it's the same with uh, theater. You don't get to interact with other musicians or actors. Um, so that's been pretty tough. But, uh, you know, we know it'll we know it'll pass and everyone will be ready to jump right back in. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm sure that is a, a difficult, weird hurdle for everybody. And like you said, the live entertainment um, sector of you know the industry has definitely seen that maybe a little bit more so than some other places. Um, one thing I've always been really interested in is how do you, well, first I should ask, do you have a season? Like do you guys, well, we do productions here or are you kind of more, you know, we have year-round productions? We were getting, the Performing Arts Center was starting to attract or, uh, or have more productions in the summer. But it really, the busy season sort of corresponds with an academic year, um, a school year, you know, September through May is the busiest time. But um, this summer, BHET was actually going to do a big summer musical, Matilda, you know, that's something that families could uh, come to and kids could enjoy. And that, um, that obviously came to a screeching halt. Now we're planning on pushing that into this next season, which you heard here first. We haven't even announced what and we're doing. Exclusive. Yeah, we got an exclusive. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, everyone's a little reluctant to throw every plan out there because, you know, plans can change at the drop of a hat right now. Uh, but, of course, we're planning and working, you know, towards the future. And then we're also, you know, you keep the best and worst scenario, worst case scenario in mind. Um, but, uh, yeah, the summer was getting a lot busier with things. Uh, but uh, definitely the busiest in the academic year, mostly because most of the performers, well, with Black Hills Community Theater, all of the actors are volunteer actors. No one, no one makes a living acting um, off of our productions. And um, most of the people in those courses are also, I mean, if they're kids, uh, they're kids. If they're adults, they have day jobs. And this is something they do uh, because they love doing it. So that tends to also push everything into a sort of that school year as well. You know, families like to plan their summer vacations, and we do theater camps in the summer even more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, because most of the performers are really area residents, um, that works best in most of their schedules. Yeah, I agree. So I was, I was going to touch on that as well, is that everybody is, you know, um, coming from the area. We're not pulling outside actors in from different states, or does that happen a little bit as it just, well? It only happens a little bit. Some performing arts centers were built so that they could create a big touring season where you bring in uh, ballets and concerts and um, rock shows. 
our performing arts center was really built for the local resident companies. So that's the majority of it. But we've actually partnered with a lot of private promoters as well. And so we've been seeing more shows. We had a pretty cool uh, Queen tribute band last year. Um, there were some other, uh, unfortunately, there was a couple other shows of, uh, of different artists that private promoters were putting on. So that's something that, uh, you know, you see Tonic Soul Fall come through every year. They, they're out of the Twin Cities, but they uh, produce a, they do a Christmas tour. Or the Hegg Brothers out of Sioux Falls who always come here for a, uh, that's always a benefit for Lifescape. Uh, so you get some touring, um, and we're, we'd love to see more of that because I think there's mo- more room for more great entertainment in town. Um, all of our our residents put on so many concerts that you can keep yourself pretty entertained just through that. But the touring acts just bring something that's different. That's the, the whole point. They bring something you don't see every day, um, but also something that might be a little more esoteric uh, that wouldn't attract a big audience that can fit over in the big theaters at the Civic Center. You know, their their fine arts theater holds 1,800 people. But there's a lot of acts that might attract 500 people. And that's um, so that's kind of one of our next goals, actually, at the Performing Arts Center, is just to see how that expands. We've really settled. This is our eighth season open. It, so pretty soon we're going to be celebrating a 10-year anniversary, and then we won't be able to call ourselves a new Performing Arts Center. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but definitely, like, finding what, what niche do we fit in, what kind of... Uh, what kind of artists that don't live here and tour would people like to see? That's always a hard thing. I've, private promoters, that's a really tough business. You're putting your own money on the line, and uh, you're just making a gamble that this town's going to like to see what you're putting on the stage. And most of those people, they do it as a business, so they're trying to sell tickets, and they're trying to get something that hits and brings in people. But a lot of the smaller promoters really have a, you know, kind of an artistic bent, too. They're trying to promote artists that they like and might not get um, the radio play and, and play the arenas. So uh, that's definitely a direction we're going to be going. Absolutely. Just kind of, yeah, that little bit of a slice of life, you know, um, slice of the pie for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, when you, going back to your guys' when you're putting on a production, how do you go about deciding what, you know, production you're going to put on like do you go through a giant list of, of scripts and say I like this one or this one or is it more of like I've been wanting to do this one for 10 years let's do this one right now well it's interesting because there's a lot of people involved and so the, the second thing you said a lot of people say I really love this play or I really love this musical and uh, and our artistic director Zach Curtis accepts any any ideas people will send him ideas and whether and then he puts together a committee we call the play selection committee and uh, uh it involves staff at Black Hills Community Theater. It involves uh, some board members. It also involves just people from the community who are interested in theater. And uh, everyone has to read everything. If you want to vote on a season, you've got to read those scripts and really, and, and they talk about them a lot. And, and they take into account, you know, some things like, will this be, is this way over the top edgy for our audiences? Is this, uh, you know, a, a good play? Or sometimes it's, uh, geez, this play uses uh, 20 men who could sing and dance. Can we? I'm kind of making that up, but that's those are the discussions. You really have to think about all the um, things you can get done. Or, you know, are we going to ever do Fan of the Opera and fly a chandelier across the theater? Maybe not. We don't know. You say, never say never. But so all these things go into that, and then it gets distilled down into, you know, five shows and a, a dinner theater show. So, yeah, we'll start out with a list of 100. And, um, and 
and the goal is, um, and, and those aren't five homogenous shows. They really are all very different. Uh, there's also a goal to have that, that big show like Matilda or this last year's Beauty and the Beast, something that the families can really bring everyone together, you know, grandparents down to kids. But then some other plays that are a little more challenging um, socially, you know, something that has uh, uh, a harder edge to it that makes people think, um, that kind of opens their eyes and uses theater uh, to make a little bit of social change. And sometimes just there's always some comedy on there that you know people will just find riotous and funny. Uh, so they really try to make a season that's uh, extremely diverse, give everyone a chance to enjoy something. Yeah, I think that is so important too because you get, I think people fall into the trap of a lot of times it's like, oh, Oklahoma is on, you know, it's like that's what they're going to do. And having, yes, you want your big pull, just like you said, Beauty and the Beast. Everybody knows that they know what they're going to get into and they know they're going to love it. But I think having those ones that are a little bit different, like I maybe haven't heard of that one, and people go watch it and they're pleasantly surprised at their, you know, they don't know what they're going to expect, but they know that it's going to be quality theater and they know that it's probably going to be pretty good as your selection process sounds pretty uh, strenuous. Yeah, that's uh, and that's exactly it. I mean, you could, and especially this, Next year, the tendency could be, well, money is tight. We're, we're hurting. We're losing a lot of uh, ticket income, and uh, donations are going to be uh, are going to be harder because people are supporting you know, real visceral needs of people, food and shelter, you know, the things that you just can't do without. Uh, although a lot of our patrons can't do without theater, and a lot of the people who volunteer can't either, so it's pretty critical in their lives. But... Um, it, the tendency would be let's just do things that sell tickets and uh, and that that just goes off mission a little bit. We have to we have to still think about what uh, you know we just do have to challenge the audience a little bit as well. But there's always people who like this edgier play who might not be so into a Disney musical. So you're still serving as wide of a audience as you possibly can. Absolutely. Do you find people? that they come to your, maybe, you know, a play for the first time or, you know, maybe they've gone to plays elsewhere and then they come here. Do you find a lot of people going like, I wouldn't have guessed I would have enjoyed it that much because that was my experiences. Uh, I know my my sister did children's theater when she was very young and we would go to, the, you know, their plays when they would, would uh, show and they were always very good. And, of course, it was children, children's theater, so it was a lot of comedy type stuff and they always made it really fun for the audience. But then when I was in college, I went to one was a comedy and one was definitely more of a serious. And each time I left, I was like, I didn't think I'd enjoy that as much as I did, but I really, really enjoyed it. Do you find that same kind of feeling coming from people? Yeah, definitely. And that's the interesting thing. Trying to get people in the door is a very hard thing. Everyone is busy. They have so many entertainment options, so much digital content. And now we're just you know, inundated with it because that's all we're getting. And so you do see a lot of people who are like, why haven't I been doing this before? And, um, you know, they might go to Beauty and the Beast and uh, and then try something new and say, oh, my gosh, there's a whole different aspect, exactly how you described it. Children's theater, obviously, it's got to be kind of appropriate for the whole audience. But there are certain things you just don't bring kids to because they're touching on pretty serious subjects uh, that that's just, you know, young kids aren't ready for. Um or just hilarious comedy like the Full Monty, which was actually fine. There was, you know, that's not a. Um, it, it, there's nothing profane about the Full Monty, but it's an adult show, and it was hilarious, and it had great audiences, and they loved it. 
but um, yeah, the whole goal is to get get some new people to try theater. And once they do that, I think they realize a, a great example of that is we did Dr. And Jekyll, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a couple seasons ago. And um, it's a story everyone knows, but the, the playwright had changed the story so much and made it so different that folks were completely shocked. They kind of came, oh, it's around Halloween. Let's go see Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And they came out of there going, that was not what I expected. It wasn't just the, you know, like the old black and white um, kind of schlocky uh, production of it. It was a, you know, thinking man's production and uh, something like that where you, where you can entice a lot of people in with a name and then they come out seeing that theater can be something completely different and can deliver a lot of different layers of messages. Um, that's a really cool experience. Are playwrights allowed to do that? Like you can mess with an original script? Because I know that can be touchy in some other aspects of writing where it's like, you, have, for example, if you're quoting a book, you can like only quote so much before it's considered plagiarism. Is there anything like that? Or is it more just kind of like artistical freedom with that? No, I think there is a lot of that. I think some of the older stories like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's all about you know copyright. Is that copyright still, is it still in copyright? Or sometimes it's about, having go to the original source and literally getting permission. Uh, you know, for instance, Raoul Dahl, who, uh, you know, Willy Wonka was his story and Matilda his, is his story. Um, you know, there's probably a foundation, I believe, that uh, probably wants to be very involved in what people do. They might give them some artistic license, but they want to... Uh, that they want to control the message. They don't want to see his writing totally turned on its head. But when you get uh, to such old source material like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you kind of have uh, um, the, I think it's kind of wide open. A little bit more leeway for yeah, sure. Yeah. So you get your script, you decide what you're, you're going to do for your production. What's the, obviously there's a lot that goes into this, so we won't be able to cover all of it, but what are kind of the high, is it like right into building sets? Is it right into, you know, trials with actors? Are we, what are we doing next? Well, it's interesting because once the season's set, like for instance, we have our season set usually by March, maybe April. We like to announce it uh, the end of April. Uh, but then artistic director, Zach Curtis, I mean, his job is now to bring that to life. The first thing he wants to do is is get some marketing materials going. He was, he works with a graphic designer to to really look what what's the one you know what's that logo going to look like? What's emblematic of that? Um, that helps us then start to create brochures and marketing and he turns it over to me and Ryan in our office to do that but then his job is he's got all these plays and he does, he's got the dinner theater that's the sixth play he's got some play readings we do you know first thing is he has to he has to have a director for all of those and a music director if it's a musical and then he's got to have a set designer and a, um, a sound designer and a costume designer so his real job is to is to go out and work in the community uh, we have a lot of staff who are super professional so they uh, they get to do some costumes and sets but he also pulls from the theater community that he's gotten to know over the last three years and finds directors so that's the first thing it's called your productions your production staff there's a lot of people I mean from uh, from a straight play might just have four or five designers and a director and a stage manager but when you get into a musical you're going to have to have spotlight operators and backstage mic techs and um, that's his first step and once he's got a director uh, then, then that director 
can work with that production crew. You know, they could be working a year out and talking to their, oh, I'm excited to do this musical next March and talk to their set designers and all that. Uh, of course, the first play that's coming up is the one that the technical crew worries about because they have to uh, work with that designer, um, either the set designer or the costume designer or the light designer, and they all have to uh, make sure that plans are being laid out, that drawings are made, and uh, um, and then it's just a process. One play gets on stage, and the technical crew goes back to the shop and starts working with the next pr- um, design crew to. Uh, figure out what's going to be in the next play. And then it's just a, uh, it's a little bit of a factory to, uh, uh, I don't say that uh, like it's not creative work because it's extremely creative, but then it's just a process that you go through. And the auditions usually only happen about, um, you know, those auditions, you don't have much time between auditions and rehearsals. Most of them happen maybe eight weeks before something opens and uh, those actors audition and the next week, it's set and you do a read through and boom, they're into a rehearsal of anywhere from six to eight weeks. And that's again, just, just a process every, every couple months, there's another set of auditions and another set of rehearsals happening. That is a quick turnaround. They, to memorize, you know, an entire play of lines for a leading or sporting actor. Nonetheless, I mean, I very, very yeah. impressive. I don't know. I, I can barely remember to say my name when I go on <laughs> stage and do an intro. So, uh, I'm always impressed with actors, and the, and of course they get to rehearse for a while with the script. But then the director will say, "Next week you're off book." That means you you know you have to have your script there at work and under notebook. So when your boss comes by, you can hide it while you're studying <laughs> your lines at work and, and at home. And um, yeah, they do an awful lot of work, and, and it's a pretty fast process. Oh, very cool. So we've talked a lot about plays and, and productions what are some other things that you guys do from the performing arts center standpoint and the black hills community theater standpoint well sure the uh uh you know of course there's all these uh, uh coalition members and our resident companies and symphony is uh working on their season they do five concerts and a couple of fundraisers and um and just a lot of conjecture about how do we how do we pack an orchestra on stage and an audience into the hall by october um, a lot of questions out there, but they have the same process. Bruce Knowles, their music director, he had decided what the next season would be, you know, back in December or or January, and then works on getting the music and sponsors for all those shows. And now they're also doing a little retooling. They their last concert of a Mozart Requiem, which is huge, uses a big orchestra, a whole chorus that got canceled. Um, so they're trying to figure out how to move that into the next season. Um, but everyone's just sort of planning what they do, children's course, those other courses, um, a lot of them rescheduling things and rescheduling them again. Um, but, uh, you know, one interesting thing is, um, uh, we decided a while ago, the Performing Arts Center is also, is a nonprofit. So we need to raise money because our goal is we need to raise money to cover basic costs. So we don't just have to pass it all on to the resident companies. Instead of just saying the basic cost of running the performing arts is X, and we're going to divide it that by um, the number of companies here, and that's what you're going to have to pay. We also raise money, and um, we do a joint fundraiser every year. Um, that might, might be fun to talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Cool. You probably heard I'm of on it. board. It's, it's the pop-up party. We have the last year was our fifth annual pop-up party, and it benefits the performing arts center, the Black Hills Community Theater, and the Rapid City Children's Chorus, and um, this idea came up years ago, and it's funny. The first year, 
it sort of was like three different parties wrapped into one. We said, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of wine aficionados here. Maybe we could do something, you know, surrounding um, wine. And then someone said, well, you know, the, there's a blue moon, the second full moon of the month in December. Or no, sorry, it was uh, July 31st. That was back in 2015. We're like, oh, let's have a blue moon party. And then someone else came. Hey, have you ever seen these pop-up parties? You know, people just... Uh, the day of, they find out where this party is, and you go out there, and there's tables and chairs, and you bring your own food and decorate. So we wrapped all that into one event, the Blue Moon Pop-Up Party, that was so much fun. We've done it for five years in a row. We were working on um, this year's pop-up party with some pretty cool theme ideas and finding a you know unique location somewhere close to town but out in the hills. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, everything came down, and we're like, well, you know, even at the end of July. We're just not sure we could pack everyone into a tent. So we decided to do a virtual pop-up party. So we're doing our, and it, and we decided to do it sooner than later. All these organizations need some help now to guarantee that they have a little bit of money to start up again in September. And um, we decided, you know, time is of the essence on this. Everyone's um, hurting and, and it's a virtual pop-up. So we want people to engage, you know, through Facebook and our website and YouTube video uh, but let's try to do it before everyone is just totally stir crazy and out in the middle of, you know, who's getting out in the hills. Although me and my family have been out in the hills every weekend. It's been great. Um, we live in such a weird, such a great location. That sounds strange, a great location to, uh, sit out a pandemic, but I guess that's really true. I would hundred percent agree with you. I agree that the wording's weird, but I'm the same way. I've been either out hiking and just finding some solitude there or out, um, turkey hunting season is going on right now so i'm out hunting turkeys but either way you're just out enjoying the hills and the solitude that the hills can provide exactly i think this summer that's going to be you know people's um real getaways and we're so lucky the trailheads aren't crowded Uh, you know the new director of elevate um he came from colorado and he said in colorado they're gonna have to start pulling you're gonna have to start pulling permits to go hiking at a trailhead there's so many people there sometimes so um uh, we want to keep that secret, I suppose. But uh, anyway, back to our party. So we decided to try to get something done. So June 6th, we're going to do our virtual pop-up party. The theme is uh, um, a night at the movies um, because you could sit at home and watch a movie on your screen if you want. So uh, in the past, the theme always, people would come in. We had the speakeasy pop-up party a couple of years ago. Everyone came as gangsters and moles. and um, Is it mole? Mole? You know, the a yeah. flapper, flapper mm-hmm. girl. Um you know, they just love the dress-up aspect of it, and uh, they try to decorate their table in um, in a similar fashion. And we have contests for best costumes and best use of the themes, and and that kind of lends itself to a virtual online event too, because people can send videos and post pictures of what they're doing at home. Um, it, you know, this year uh, the kids can get in on it, and uh, the dog. And the cat and the fish could get in. It's probably hard to put a costume on a fish, but true, they're probably pretty, pretty wiggly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're hamster. There we go. Um, so uh, uh, you know, so we've been working on hard on that. Uh, switched over to that theme at the last minute to uh, um, you know to try to give someone inspiration, some inspiration of what you can do at home. Yeah. Does how does someone get an invite to this pop up party if they if they want one? Oh, you know, you don't. It's funny, uh, we send invite outs for fundraisers all the time and people think they need to be invited, but everything's open to the public. The pop-up party is a public event. Um, and this year it's it's gonna be easy. You, I mean, 
the whole idea is it's going to be a fundraiser. We hope people will throughout the day uh, donate online and help us out in that way. But people can pop in um, uh, and check out what's going on throughout the day. Uh, and so there's really, it's uh, that's the great thing this year is anyone can at least see what's going on, see what's happening. If they love it, they can throw in a little donation if they, as they get as the donations get bigger, you get entered into some drawings for some interesting prizes. You uh, uh, can enter the contests and also win some prizes that way. Um, maybe get some free swag, hopefully delivered in a, uh, a curbside delivery in a safe manner. Uh, so there's um, uh, anyone can be involved in it this year. Absolutely. So typically how it happens is, like you said, you find out the day before this is, or the day of, the day of where the yeah. party is at. Yeah, the pop-up party is also the day of. Of course, uh, you know, in the past, there's there's a ticket. It's a, uh, um, you know, people uh, people pay a lot to go to the party and bring all their own food. It's the, just the greatest fundraising event <laughs> from an organizer's standpoint. But they have so much fun, and uh, uh, and there's a huge amount of sponsorship behind it. There's a lot of donors who are like, look, my my donation is going to help three different organizations. Um, and inspire other people to get involved. And so uh, I can't even express how important that is as well. And there used to be auctions and raffles, and of course all of that can't really happen online. So, But this year we're just, anyone can pop in and give $5 if they want. So like we said, it was the day of, do we have, oh, yes. a, do we have a date for the digital one, or are we going to find out the day of that this is the party tonight, or how no, is that going to work? we're publishing that right now. We're getting out the... Um, the word right now. It's June 6th. June 6th. Uh, awesome. Although we do have on the 5th, the Friday evening, uh, we have a great partner. We have New Center One as a partner this year, and they're helping us. We're going to do a an announcement on the evening of uh, Friday, June 5th, to announce some of the big contest, big, big contest categories, so people can, you know, get a good 24-hour jump on uh, on those big categories. But then the next day at noon, just on the hour, we'll have we'll have a little bit of. Uh, live content and announce some little pop-up contests. Um, uh, we've got a whole list. I can't even give any away or else people will jump on it right now. So just a whole bunch of uh, um, little contests related to the movie thing to throw together in an hour and then they uh, submit, submit a photo. And uh, uh, we, might, we might judge those based on likes or we might have a little committee or a panel of judges. We um, All the details we're working out. But yeah, definitely there's going to be activity throughout the day. You don't have to be at the party for seven hours. You can just pop in for any time you want. And then at six o'clock, we'll have a, a, a big live event uh, streaming on both our Facebook, but also New Center One's uh, Facebook uh, with some live performance, some recorded performance from our residents, uh, contest winners, uh, just a bunch of fun. Awesome. That does sound like a great thing. Uh, as you said earlier, you guys are a nonprofit. How can people help out, donate if they're not, you know, obviously the pop-up party here on June 6th, um, but say just, you know, midsummer, how can they they help and donate any way possible? Oh, yeah, and uh, we've all made it pretty easy. If you go to performingartsrc.org, that's the Performing Arts Center's website. There's uh, there's donate buttons. Black Hills Community Theater has donate buttons. Um, any amount is helpful right now. We literally have, uh, you could say we have no income, but it is, amazing that every week we get a donation that's unsolicited in the mail, um, something online. Uh, we we participated in that second Giving Tuesday last week. Uh, Black Hills Community Theater really did 
Black Hills Community Theater has been doing a fun thing uh, called the Ghost Light series. Uh, a ghost light is often you put one light bulb out in the middle of a stage that's on all night long. And um, I think it's so people won't like wander in and fall off the stage and hurt themselves. But people say it's to keep the ghost at, at every theater house company. So that's <laughs> the that's where that came from. And and we've been doing videos of uh, local performers just singing a song or talking uh, um, to some local folks. Uh, so that's a fun thing to keep people engaged. And uh, uh, it's a fundraiser, but it's not really a fundraiser. It's just to show that we're here and we're theater and there's a um, we're we're doing whatever we can to be creative when we're when we can't do the thing we do and bring people into the theater. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty easy to support any of these organizations. And in fact, if people want to, some of the smaller organizations like Rapid City Children's Chorus, you can actually donate to them through the Performing Arts Center. There's a donate button and there's a pull down menu that says, I want my donation to go to so-and-so. And then we pass that along, along with the names of the donors. So it's just another service the Performing Arts Center does for their residents. Very cool. Uh, obviously, I'm going to assume when things get back to normal here, tickets, if we're going to buy tickets to plays, same location, go go on the website and then uh, find them there. Yeah, exactly. Most organizations like the Symphony and Community Theater will have a um, will have a buy tickets button on their website, and that really just takes them over to the, uh, um, the service that the Performing Arts Center uses to reserve tickets. Our box offices, we literally have nothing on sale right now, unfortunately, but uh, we're all hoping that by July, maybe August at the latest, everything will crank back up. Season tickets for the symphony and the community theater, um, everything. Uh, we're really hoping that we will be able to do things safely uh, for a pretty decent audience size by late September or October. Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose uh, before we log off here, if there's anything that I missed or you want to touch on, plug real quick, say it now before we, we shut the machine down. No, I think we covered a lot. I would say that right now is such a tough time for all organizations, and um, and we want to give people the opportunity to give to us, And but we have no expectation that, uh, um, that folks aren't changing the way they do that. I mean, people are really hurting in the community. I just think we're really lucky that uh, Rapid City in this whole area is a pretty generous community. I see... Um, I see Feeding South Dakota and Black Hills Area Community Foundation getting big donations to help uh, with the immediate needs that are going on. So uh, really a great community to be in right now at this point. I think that uh, people are taking care of people who really need help, and uh, we'd appreciate any help we can get. Absolutely. Very well said. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Very interesting conversation. I learned a lot, and hopefully when things get back to a little bit normal here, I can come down and catch a production when we're in the swing of things. So awesome. Well, hey, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks.